it's the kind of thing that I feel like, and I feel like this with a lot of YouTube stuff, but it would be so good if it was just like we had a little camp or something, you know, and there were five or eight creators together and maybe we even have like a, a whole bank of computers in a circle and we just like do your thing for 20 minutes and then everybody move one station to the left uh, and yeah. then you know you first of all get way more pieces out of it rather than just the one project being passed around and around oh uh, you know what would also be interesting is if that circle of people was also related to like the circle of fifths and then you could like take the the Whoa. relative people's projects and like give them to each other to like combine them and stuff yeah yeah make everything the same tempo and then you yeah basically just have a, a super group generating a whole bunch of material really quick yeah yeah oh that'd be really smart if only i had a ton of money to throw at this problem Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of TheUns.com, Bill's manager, and current sufferer of a cold, if you can't tell already. Bill's guest was on the very first episode of this podcast. Andrew Wong is back. He's a YouTuber extraordinaire. He immortalized Bill as a giant golden god in his Sparkle Mountain video. And the two of them made the absolute dumbest song ever, Droppy, where they tried to outdumb each other on their drops. They're good friends, and this is a fun listen. So glad we got to have them back. This episode is brought to you by M Voice. If you're looking to create vocals directly in your DAW for any reason, to draft ideas, convey ideas to collaborators, or to be your studio singer, the M Voice One plugin can revolutionize your workflow. To create vocals in your DAW using M Voice, literally just enter MIDI notes and type lyrics. No mic, no interface, no vocal performance skills necessary. Each voice was made by deep sampling recordings of real pro singers, resulting in an audio quality near identical to that of a raw studio recording. I'm serious. Excited to see how this technology could affect the way artists create music as Mvoice continues to grow. Head to mvoiceapp.com, that's E-M-V-O-I-C-E-A-P-P.com to try it out for yourself. And the uh, the vocals and the music you're about to hear were created entirely with Mvoice. Here's a couple examples. I'm in my bed again. We're all excited about Envoice here at the Mr. Build Podcast. Uh, we're going to try it out, test it out. Let's see uh, how this thing flies. We'll, uh, we'll get back to you next episode and, and let you know how that goes. So the big news here is that we're migrating from Patreon to MrBillsTunes.com to keep the podcast under one umbrella. We'll be over-communicating our migrating procedure to make sure that people who are supporting us via Patreon don't get screwed, the people who want to support the podcast get some great bonuses, and to make sure that we get their early access feed out to everyone who wants it. This should streamline things and help us keep producing this show for you. Thanks for your understanding during this transition. On November 19th, Bill's in Austin for Beyond Existence, and November 20th, he's at Otherworld in Ohio for the only Mr. Bill Gates set of the year and a bonus IDM set. Then he rings in 
2022 with a Kill Bill date supporting Ganja White Knight in Detroit on New Year's Eve. We might be adding in a couple of last minute dates for 2021, so stay tuned. Tickets are at Linktree slash Mr. Bill's Tunes. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. This is how you become better at making electronic music, and soon you'll be able to get the podcast there. That's all for me. Enjoy Bill's chat with Andrew Huang. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Okay, I, I can be cool with patrons seeing the side of the studio that is insanely messy right now. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah, thanks for coming back, dude. It's um, we're a uh, hundred episodes deep on the podcast now, which is crazy. Yeah, that's so exciting because it was. I remember you telling me about it right when well when you started it, and I was yeah, on there you, first. But yeah, uh, you were episode one, man. I I was. I don't know. I, I didn't. Not that I didn't have faith in you or anything like that, but I just know how projects go, and I'm like, man, seeing you continue this on and having all these great guests, it's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, fuck, dude, your YouTube channel. Like, if you numbered those videos, um, oh, I'm at over 500, I think now with that. Yeah, dude, that's so crazy. How, how much, um, like, time and effort goes into each video these days? You know what? Um, the one that I uploaded actually today uh, was really quick. Um, it, it just went up like right a uh, little bit before this call started. And it, uh, it I started it yesterday afternoon. It had nothing recorded for it until, you know, 1 or 2 p.m. yesterday. And just, you know, had thought about the idea for a little while. But um, that's a rare case. I guess a lot of them take... Uh, you know, between that and like 40 hours might be the top end um, for one video, but it really depends. And then, you know, I was doing that space story for a while where, you know, the VFX were, that wasn't my workload, but it was, it was a ton. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, so I, I didn't uh, follow that story, unfortunately. What, what was the deal with that? I, the, the only way I've found out about this um well i watched some of the videos where you were like in a spaceship or something like that but also um i saw the flashbulb posting a few times and he kept posting things like um people keep asking me like is andrew really in space and stuff and he's like why am i the authority on like why <laughs> who, who knows whether <laughs> um yeah, yeah um it was like this long-term project of mine where i just wanted to experiment with the format um both like what youtube is but also just like what social media could be and uh you know make this really ridiculous series that would would start off with me telling everybody that i'm going to space and somehow that we managed to make believable for more people than it should have been but you know the, uh i i think we've all learned about how like misinformation works online and so it, you know it was kind of a bit of trolling, a bit of art, a bit of commentary on, um, you know, how we perform on social media, what's real and what's not and yada, yada. And then we, we just wanted to make this 
thing kind of like descend into absurdity over the course of about 15 to 20 videos where I'm still like uploading my regular content, but then, you know, I'm uh, flying to another planet. I'm meeting an alien. I'm trying to like dodge asteroids. Um, so there's like story woven into my normal content. And then I start some of the music ends up driving some of the plot points. So just like kind of a space opera musical slash still YouTube tutorials mixed in with like, there's a music video. There's um, yeah, there's just like full on drama with uh, the story that we're telling. And then um, I guess I, I won't say too much more about it if people are interested in watching it and seeing how things unfold and the kind of like twists and turns it took, but then also on social media for the whole time, uh, I was pretending that I was tweeting and stuff from space, which like <laughs> no one was meant to believe uh, for past the first couple of days, but people did believe it for like a couple of weeks in some cases, or maybe even longer than that for some people who they don't literally have the thought that you had a studio thinking. in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was um, really interesting to watch that reaction. Um but yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the gist of it. And then it, it, in tandem with that, I was releasing music that was, um, you know, a part of the videos throughout the whole series. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. How did you do all that VFX stuff? Did you just, was it all green screened or was it like done? Um, there was some way? practical stuff. I, there was like some stuff on a, an alien planet, which is just the desert in California that we actually flew out to shoot in. Um, oh, wow. And um, so me and my brother-in-law really did like, almost everything on this uh with a few of our friends for some special things but like we he he's a crazy vfx genius so he was handling all of that side of things making me look like i'm floating we did some of that on green and then we also built a set in my studio so behind me we're actually still kind of recovering from the set because like my <laughs> drums are still down i've got like a few odd pieces lying around still but we built like this wood frame that took up most of this room with like styrofoam walls and that's wow. where i did my videos for a while um but we also pre-filmed a lot of it um so that it wouldn't be um I don't know. So we, that, we were just trying to make it so that you didn't have to have a studio anyway. full of styrofoam for like a year. <laughs> yeah, it was actually about a year that it was up, uh, <laughs> which is insane. But I mean, I spent three months of that in LA and we weren't working on the space thing the whole time. But yeah, it was just a fun thing that I wanted to try on my channel. And, and it's some of the most interesting videos I think I've done, both like conceptually and visually and even musically. Man, it it's so insane what people's minds will do like if you just feed them the right information um <clears throat> i was listening to this podcast last night uh it was um a podcast called behind the bastards uh -huh. and it was about this guy named charles dederick um and he basically was an alcoholic and then he decided he wanted to you know i don't know if he decided he wanted to like fix his alcoholism or whatever, but he ended up at Alcoholics Anonymous. And then he was like, oh, I kind of like, you know, see more potential here for a, you know, bigger thing. And then he started this thing called Synanon, which um, I guess was, you know, kind of like Sins Anonymous or whatever. So it was basically like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for, you know, alcoholics uh, and drug addicts and, and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> and essentially he, <laughs> he turned it into like a little cult and then uh, after a while, uh, so one of one of the 
biggest groups of people to get addicted to things is um lawyers so he ended up with oh. like a huge like group of lawyers in his cult and then he ended up with like a bunch of other people in in his cult and uh started buying up like properties everywhere and every time cities would come after him and like try and attack him for like zoning laws and stuff he's like you know fleet of lawyers would just go after the city so like all cities were like scared wow. to come after him and all of this kind of shit and he ended up like building his own military um he had like his own little marine corps and that's wild well um, so and what was he telling these people to get them like that committed to him there was a bunch of weird shit man he had like this thing called the game where he would just like put everyone in a room and just like yell at them and like call them names and basically like emotionally abuse them a ton and like all this crazy shit he was like a horrible person but yeah it's just like a, a very extreme example of that like wait <laughs> where if you like tell someone some crazy information they'll just believe you and at the end of that story basically is that um the whole cult fell apart because they put a rattlesnake with its rattle cut off inside a lawyer's mailbox oh sorry a um a reporter's mailbox and the oh. reporter like went to put their hand in the mailbox and got bitten by a rattlesnake and then had to go to hospital for 11 days but prior to that they'd also beaten this uh lawyer up with a crowbar to the point where he was Jeez. in a coma for a week as well so yeah this it was like a fucking crazy story man i was I, I highly suggest listening to it it's called um beyond the bastards synonym part one and two yeah that's wild i mean yeah there's i guess we're just like seeing on on so many levels how people at a certain place in their lives or who you know f f are looking for answers or something like it can just go wrong so quickly yeah totally yes yeah, it's, it's nuts um i guess we yeah we saw a ton of that you know through the elections and all of that crap last year as well um oh yeah how was how was covid for you by the way you're pretty set up for that kind of thing right because i mean like most yeah. of your job is just done from your house yeah fortunately you know not much changed other than i traveled less which um was fine for me you know i had been um wanting to cut back on that anyway and then uh, well we had a baby she's almost oh, eight months old congratulations so man. um yeah so i mean that kind of worked out to our benefit as well, just in terms of like not having to deal with as many people and not feeling like we're missing out on anything because nothing really was going on for so long. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it was uh, definitely, you know, not easy a lot of the times just like watching the news or seeing how the numbers are doing in our city. And um, yeah, I had some like kind of listless months for sure. It was hard to be productive or anything. And yeah, I was, you know, kind of glued to my phone and, or whatever, but that overall it, it was, uh, totally fine for us. And, uh, yeah, I, I just saw a thing saying that Toronto is the second safest city in the world for post COVID. Oh, um, wow. apparently the I, uh, I think it was, um, Oh shoot. I'm going to mix up. There was like a top five and I think Tokyo was in there and let me see. Uh, Let's Google this. Top five. I think maybe somewhere COVID. in Sweden or something. And I think it was probably not looking at, you know, small, small towns or anything, but. All right. Yeah. The world's top five safest cities post COVID on republicworld.com. Is this the one you read? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and again, yeah, um, who knows where the information came from? I didn't fact check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Copenhagen, Toronto, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo. Uh-huh. 
says Toronto came in second in the overall safety rating with high points in infrastructure and environmental security. According to BBC, residents praise an inclusive culture that prioritizes targeted communication across communities, particularly when it comes to vaccine knowledge and adoption. The city's long history of multi multiculturalism also makes residents feel comfortable. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, Toronto is cool, man. I, I like Toronto a lot. It's um kind of where like the most of Canada's population is, right? It's a good amount. I mean, not most, but uh, it's it's the biggest city by far. Actually, I discovered um, it's actually the third biggest city in all of North America. So it's bigger population wise than every American city except for New York and L.A. Um, oh wow! Yeah, but it, I think it's like yeah, it's four million people, and there's thirty million Canadians. But you know. <laughs> yeah, the a, 2016 census says 2.7 million, but I'm sure it's way more than uh, that. Now. I've probably seen uh, the one that includes all of the, you know, sprawl or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's always tough to get proper numbers on that. Because, like, for instance, I lived in, like, Denver for a long time, right? And it always felt like there was way more than, like, what the internet said was there. I think um, on the internet they say uh, there's something like a less than a million people there even yeah it's denver population wow. uh this 2012 they oh that's a long ass time ago there's definitely been a lot more people existing since then uh the 2020 census says there's only 700,000 people in denver wow. which is crazy to me it feels like yeah. a really popping city well and that's something that I feel so often with American cities, like so many of them are so iconic. Um, and I guess there's just so many, like the American population is huge and there's such a rich history to so many different places that, you know, you could think of a place like Pittsburgh or whatever and think like, oh, that's, you know, got to be a giant place. Like there, there's so much has come out of there and you know, everybody knows the name and whatever, but it's not it's it's probably smaller than Denver or, or about the same size, I would guess. Um, yeah, totally. Let's see. Pittsburgh, um, 2020 census, 300,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. And you think, it, I don't know, all, all these places of... to me feel like they're, you know, they, they have a big place in history or whatever. Yeah, totally. There's, um, I feel like a bunch of uh, cities that kind of have like good brand awareness because of the NBA. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, Cleveland and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Well, and then you think of, like, so I have uh, some in-laws who live in a city called Shenzhen in China. And that city went from being like a, a barely anything, you know, 30 years ago to now having millions of people. I, I, I want to say like 8 million people or something ridiculous, maybe even Jesus. more. Um. In, in that short period of time because they just really developed it. And you just don't hear about that place too often. Um, maybe just being on our side of the world or whatever it is, but it's also, you know, not necessarily like culturally popping or anything like that. It's kind of like a, I think tech manufacturing type of area. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, the amount of people in a place really has so little to do with what we end up um, thinking about it or how, how popular it becomes in the public consciousness. Yeah, totally. I'm just looking at some, uh, some lists now. I'm looking at the list of the United States cities by population. And the top one is New York by far, which is 8.8 .8 million. And then Los Angeles, there's a huge fucking drop off. <laughs> it goes down to <laughs> 3.8 million. So it's like not even half. 
Um, and then Chicago, which is 2.7. Then Houston, surprisingly, I didn't realize that, which is 2.3. And then Phoenix, which is also weird, which is 1.6. Oh. And then Philly, which is 1.6. And then fucking San Antonio, which is 1.4. Yeah, then, like there's yeah, you, you there's no correlation between like the the cultural and the you know bigness, I don't know, the relevance and the yeah, <laughs> population I mean, size. Going down this list, it's like shit like you know cities that I would think feel a lot more populated like for instance I live in San Francisco and that's rated 17 on this list at like 870,000. Um, right, yeah, but, not even a million in San Fran, that's wild. Yeah, it's crazy, but Looking at the same list, but for China, is nuts. Shanghai is 26 million, or almost 27, actually. And then so Beijing like is 20. Three and a half New Yorks or something. <laughs> Some, yeah, something like that, um, which is, yeah, it's incredible, man. Have you ever been to India? I did go once uh, with a, a handful of friends. We wanted to like see it as well as we we did some uh, volunteering with like Mother Teresa's Sisters of Charity. That was like a very interesting experience um wait you did volunteer work in india yeah yeah so we we did a almost month-long trip where it was like a half and half like we wanted to travel but we also uh we the the guy who planned it was like really into uh he, he works for NGOs and stuff. And he's, he's the kind of guy who like lives in the cheapest possible place in like, I don't know, some developing country for a year and then moves to another one and only owns like two shirts, one fork and one spoon. And like, I don't know, he's really, <laughs> really interesting guy that I ended up in touch with through some other friends. And then, um, yeah, he wanted to do this trip that sounded interesting to a handful of us uh, in his circle. And we all went as a group to uh, volunteer and then to, you know, see the uh, Taj Mahal and, you know, do, do a little bit of other sightseeing. But, yeah, it's it's a completely different place from anywhere I've been. Um, just the feeling when you're there, the, I mean, the food is amazing. The, um, yeah, I mean, the, that, that temple, the Taj Mahal was incredible and then yeah we're we're volunteering with this uh the sisters of charity is what mother Teresa started and they have a whole bunch of different i don't even know what you'd call them i guess like houses these sort of like institutions where they just tend to homeless and sick and orphaned people um yeah a really really interesting place that i think more than anywhere else i've been has such a distinct um like the the divide between classes is so palpable there. Uh, I think that, yeah, that was the the thing I really felt where you just like you know there's McDonald's made of marble and there's like places where you know we we went one night to some fancy bar where it was like thirty dollars US for a shot, <laughs> and then at the same time there's like abject poverty you know, all over the place and, um, huge piles of garbage by the side of the road that a cow is eating out of. It's like you, you're flipping back and forth between opulence and, um, you just like destitution. Yeah, totally. I, I noticed the same thing as well, for sure. It's like, um, yeah, one side of the road, there's like eunuchs and amputees and, you know, yeah, crazy poverty and stuff like that. And the, yeah, the other side of the road, there's like Blue Frog Mumbai, like big electronic music club. It's like, what the yeah, fuck? yeah. Crazy. Are you playing out there? Yeah, I've done a few tours there now. Um, but I I found it like really interesting the way that they treat cows there. Um, 
like they all think they they treat them as holy right so if there's a cow just in the middle of the road like eating grass out of like a crack or something in the road all the cars will just stop it'll just create like a traffic jam and yeah. until the cow moves they won't move they'll just be like it's nothing we can do man it's a cow it's like it's <laughs> wild we just have to fucking leave it there i wonder if that comes from mushrooms like if cows you know shitting the mushrooms came out of the shit and then they ate them and they were like, holy shit, this animal is holy. <laughs> I wonder. Yo, I have a, a house plant right now that just sprouted a giant yellow mushroom in like two days. It went from not being there to being like a few inches tall and like has a pretty uh, large cap. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I did some reading about what it probably is and I think it's poisonous. So I don't know if I... Uh, I like really want to probably donate it. <laughs> I really want to keep it growing because it's gonna. Um, I don't know. It's 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 just gonna grow so much. It's gonna change so much. I've I've did, done a little bit of like mushroom cultivation before, which is fun. But uh, and it's bright yellow, which is really interesting. But also like if it's gonna spore around and like our kid is gonna be you know in a few months able to just like walk around and pluck that stuff up. So <laughs> it'll have to go soon. Right. Yeah. You don't want to have a kid walking around getting high on poisonous mushrooms. <clears throat> um, so I remember, <laughs> um, what age do you think it's fine to start, start taking mushrooms then? I don't know. I guess I first did it. I was probably 15 and, um, yeah, I don't, I, 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 it's so unpredictable what might happen on a mushroom trip i don't i don't know if i would say anyone should do it at that age but um yeah i mean in your 20s when your body can handle all kinds of shit and, and you know that that's kind of a time for experimenting hopefully safely <laughs> yeah like after your brain has sort of <clears throat> developed and your emotions and your coping mechanisms and all that kind of crap have, for sure you know, yeah. yeah um so I remember last time we chatted, you were saying that your doing videos was kind of like uh, we drew a parallel there between uh, like the stress of you doing videos versus the stress of me doing shows, basically. And mm -hmm. I just had one of these fucking dumb experiences again uh, this weekend. I went to St. Louis for a show and then uh, I flew there on Southwest because Southwest was the only uh, company doing direct flights. And then... Um, basically southwest uh how do i best say this essentially like southwest is a texan airline and a lot of their pilots are ex-military right oh um, okay. they're people who like you know leave the military and then they just start flying commercial airlines so they're like you know pretty conservative right-wing pilots i think for a lot of a lot of the part at least i assume so this this is all my assumption by the way like don't take this <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um <clears throat> this is just my theory and Basically, what I think happened is Southwest was like, all right, we're going to employ a, a vaccine mandate where by X date, you have to be vaccinated. And if you're not, we're like not going to let you work for Southwest anymore. And what I think happened is a bunch of these right-wing conservative pilots who are ex-military Texan people decided to take a mass sick out where like a bunch uh -huh. of pilots just all decided to take a sick day at once. Um, so they had to cancel like 2000 flights in one day, which is insane. Whoa. So I got affected by that and I was stuck in, Damn. I was supposed to be home on Sunday afternoon. I didn't get home until last night at like 1230. Oh my God. Were you just like, you must've left the airport in that 
time. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even go to the airport. Like I looked at my phone and it was oh, like your right, flight. Okay. It was just like your flight has been straight up canceled. And I was like, all right. <laughs> what do I do? And they're like, rebook. And I was like, all right. So I looked on the website and they were like, there's nothing available until Tuesday night. I was like, all right. Jeez. So I'm just stuck in St. Louis for three days or something or two days, um, which is why I had to reschedule this podcast. Uh, but yeah, yeah. anyway, um, I guess my, my overarching question there is, uh, do you still feel that way about making videos? Do you still feel like it's this kind of stressful thing or do you have you, do you think you've found more of like a routine or a balance there? Yeah, it feels better, better and better. I think I'm, I'm always figuring out how to approach it better and optimize things. Um, I'm also like not on a schedule with, uh, any of my stuff right now. Um, trying mm, to you're doing get two, two videos week, out right? a month, but yeah, at a certain point I was doing two a week, like really, really, you know, that That's was a hard and fast rule for me, insane. which, um, was, which was the year that I grew by like a million subscribers. And, uh, so that was, you know, a, a great thing to do for a period of time, but not sustainable and not something I'm in a hurry to go back to. But, um, yeah, so now it definitely feels much more manageable just for that. Just like not being as focused on constant growth or, um, what's going to be the the biggest video or anything like that, but just making what's interesting for me. And then, um, yeah, trying to figure out ways to, um, to make the actual creation of the content a little easier. Like I was talking with a buddy of mine, Rob Scallon, who does a guitar channel and he, it was so funny, you know, we were kind of catching up on our process after not really discussing it too much, uh, in recent years. And he couldn't even tell me what camera, his stuff is shot on. He's got like a, someone filming him, uh, for everything now. And they, they just follow him with a camera and he does whatever he does. And, uh, you know, that's completely different from most of my stuff that is mostly self shot. And so it was interesting seeing how much he's been able to offload, um, his editing, his, uh, I mean, for, for the music too, he will like do, I guess for, you know, it depends on what genre of music you're working with, but he plays guitar and bass. He might throw down a little bit of a drum programming idea, but for the most part, he hands it all off to somebody else to do that part to mix. Um, and then, yeah, his videos are unscripted. Uh, he just, he basically sets up a situation. He's like, I'm going to try to build a guitar with a master luthier or something like that. Uh, or I'm going to learn how to build drums and build a kit in one day. <laughs> and so, What's this guy's name? Uh, Rob Scallon, S-C-A-L-L-O-N. Um, so we've, we've been good friends for a long time, and we just met through YouTube. But he, um, yeah, he, he's found this approach that works so well from him, where he basically just like thinks of ideas, makes music, and then gets in front of the camera, but he's hired away the rest of the tasks. So I'm thinking about, you know, if I could experiment with the format that I have and maybe have, um, Phil, my brother-in-law who did those VFX and he, he kind of half edits my videos and I do the other half, but, um, yeah, thinking about maybe having him just behind the camera and doing something where instead of it being me working out these different angles and, uh, I don't know. I, I like the dynamic kind of way that my videos flow right now, but I wonder if there could be something more, manageable where you know i'm doing whatever i'm doing but he can deal with all the video stuff yeah totally i mean i guess it all comes down to like a cost benefit analysis right it's like you could hand off every part of the process to somebody else but um 
just in reality that just costs money right essentially yeah for sure and then yeah a matter of also you know how long does it take to train someone to get to the point that you're really able to trust them and, and just hand them everything and um and yeah just like the the use of your own time i guess and um to a certain degree, once you hand something off, you become the manager of it instead of the, yeah, yeah. the worker, and that's its own other thing. <laughs> right, and then you have to sort of weigh up your ideals as to, like, what it is that you actually enjoy and what you want out of your career and stuff, right? Because, like, yeah. I feel like primarily what I want to do in my career is just write beats on my computer. Like, that's the yeah. fun part. And the rest of it is kind of just bullshit I do to earn myself more time in the studio to write beats on my computer. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I, I feel like <laughs> um, more and more I just keep unlocking these secret levels of being hungover in airports and, <laughs> um, you know, not, not so much hungover anymore, more sober these days. But, um, yeah. I, Are the I, shows your main revenue stream these days? No, definitely my website is my main revenue stream. Oh, sweet. And it's been that way for a while. Uh, shows, I actually look at them as like a way to... Um, I actually look at shows more as like a business card in a weird way. It's like just a way to show the people that I'm teaching that I actually can walk the walk, so to speak, you know? Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of these educators online who are like saying, do this, do that. But it's like, they're, you know, they're not playing big shows or anything. So it's like, you know, you're yeah. making club music, but you're not playing it in a club. Like, why is that? <laughs> um, Fair, yeah. So, I, you know, I, uh, I like to do shows to sort of i actually also find them fun you know the hour that i'm on stage playing the show is great it's that's a fun time it's the 24 hours surrounding it that i don't like you know the yeah. the, the six to 12 hours getting there then the six to 12 hours before the show hanging out in the hotel and then you know the extra however many hours it takes to get home and then the flight cancellations and eating the shitty food at the airports and like all that crap that's all the stuff i don't like but the hour on stage is great uh, the the other part I don't like is just planning the sets because I feel mm. like now I'm playing big enough shows that like I can't really afford to just like wing it and fuck up and you know uh, people right, are right. like for instance the show I played on the weekend people are paying like 60 bucks a ticket to be there and it's like uh, it wasn't just me it was like a big lineup so like I'm the 60 bucks was worth it. It was like me and resonant language, kill Smith, Tony and sound like a bunch of people. Yeti was there also. And I'm um, brick squash and Duffrey. And like, there was a bunch of people, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just feel like when, when people are paying that much and, uh, you know, going to all that effort to come out, you know, people are driving from like other cities to come and stuff at this point. Yeah, you, you want to get them kinda, really polished. Exactly. Yeah. You want to give them like just the, the ideal set that you think you can make. Um, and that kind of takes like a week of preparation usually beforehand. So it's like the set, when I take a show, people kind of look at it and I think just go like, cool, that's like, they just like see the, the one hour chunk on stage and think that's all it is. But it's like a week of prep beforehand and then mm -hmm. like a big ass amount of travel. And then it's like the one hour on stage is like the kind of the smallest part of it all. Yeah. Are you changing things up quite a bit from show to show? So what I do is I pretty much pre-plan my sets almost to a T, but then I've pre-planned so many sets now that I can jump between sets. Oh, that that's makes cool. sense. Yeah. yeah. That's so, smart. so it's like, let's say I have like a 50 track set list, but I've built like 50 set lists. 
So mm. it's like I can play like, you know, three tracks from one set list and then I can jump to a set list from two years from then and like play a few tracks from that one. And then I can jump back to a thing, I, like a chunk of tracks I played at like a festival in California like a few years ago. And then I can jump to like a another festival I played in New York like three years ago and play some tracks from there. And, you know, then I can like jump That's to my sick. new album set list. That's and like play a, some a matrix of exactly going through yeah. time <laughs> yeah exactly so so at first it felt cheap but now because i've like built up such a library it's like i can kind of just jump around a lot and do stuff but yeah it's it's like gotten past that tipping point where now it's become dynamic rather than just being like oh i got a couple things i can rehash yeah exactly that's super smart damn <laughs> yeah is there any parallels that you can draw out of that for like youtubing oh man i don't know i think that there's you know, so little of what I do, uh, can be reused. I guess, you know, you have a callback to something every now and again. Well, you have that little, but... like when you do the, Hey, I'm Andrew Huang. And then you have that little star that goes. Oh yeah. The star is, a, is permanently in my default, uh, video editing <laughs> template, but I do <laughs> a new awesome. clap every time. I, um, it's funny. People Wait, you ask me about a new clap. Yeah. Well, because I'm in a different environment sometimes, or I, I don't have a set hand that I do it with. And I think if I'm recording in stereo, that even, you know, can be, be funny if it's on the wrong oh, side. Yeah. If you do it like this side, do you like pan it over there? I don't, but if the mic is stereo, it, it occasionally, you know, feels a little bit, uh, directional, but yeah, people ask me about that because they're like, why wouldn't you use the same clap over and over? And actually it's, it's not that hard to like just clap before a take and then, you know, move the audio over in the editing timeline. Gotcha. But, um, it has been interesting when, I don't know, I, I did a video like in a aircraft hangar, for instance, one time. And uh, actually I don't think I even did the intro in there, but anyway, when I've been in different environments and <laughs> the clapped, if I used a, a canned clap and you know, if that didn't feel right, I guess, um, it would be the kind of thing that people would notice since they have commented already on how well the clap always seems to fit. And I think some of them think I'm putting a reverb on it and like tweaking it to, to match it. To match uh, like when it's the just room like space and stuff. Clapping a new, uh, new like time. clearly you've run an impulse response through that room you're filming in <laughs> yeah. and have applied that to the clap because it sounds so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like, I have some formats that I can return to, which is nice. You know, four producers, one sample. Um, mm. that, that, that is the thing that's great where it's not like I necessarily have to come up with a brand new concept for every video. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The four producers, one sample thing is so sick. I think that's like the, the funnest ones to watch. Yeah. I love really it. And fun. I, I, I think I'm, I'm doing it to a degree that I, that I'm still enjoying it. I, there's, there was a part of me at one time where I was like, oh, these videos are doing so well. And, um, you know, they, they kind of hit so many, um, things that I would like to check off in terms of making a video, like reach a lot of people. I can showcase all different kinds of artists. Um, and then we, you know, sampling is such a, a big part of, of what I'm excited about in music. But then, um, there's so much effort to put together that I'm finding my balance is that I'd rather do a few of them every now and then rather than have it be like every month there's a new one because I know mm. getting even close to that amount of them, um, would be, you know, detrimental to <laughs> my, my happiness in terms of you know, what they take to produce. Right. Have you, um, have you ever considered doing like a game of telephone as a video? Yeah. That's come up with a, a few different people. Um, 
I, I, I don't know exactly how it would work, but I, I think it would be super interesting. Maybe we should give it a shot. I'd be super down to be a part of that if you're going to do it. Um, yeah, I think the way it would have to work is like um, there'd have to be like some standardization rules, like no third-party mm -hmm. plugins or something like that. And uh, obviously make sure to collect all on save before sending the project to the next person. Everyone involved yeah. would have to have like the same version of Ableton 11 suite. Um, maybe don't use Max devices or something. Or like, I don't know, like there'd, yeah. there'd have to be, you know, something. Or like if you use third-party stuff, at least freeze it. It's um, the kind of thing that I feel like, and I feel like this with a lot of YouTube stuff, but it would be so good if it was just like we had a little camp or something, you know, and there were five or eight creators together and, and maybe we even have like a, a whole bank of computers in a circle and we just like do your thing for 20 minutes and then everybody move one station to the left uh, and yeah. then you know you first of all get way more pieces out of it rather than just the one project being passed around and around yeah, yeah but yeah. also you know actually executing it would come together so much quicker and um oh you know what would also yeah. be interesting is if that circle of people was also related to like the circle of fifths. And then you could like take the, the relative people's projects and like give them to each other to like combine them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Make everything the same tempo. And then you, yeah, basically just have a, a super group generating a whole bunch of material really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be really smart. If only I had a ton of money to throw at this problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like every time I have a, an idea, I'm like, Man, if only I had Jeff Bezos money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could just make things like this happen. Like, realistically, Jeff Bezos, if he wanted to, could just fashion up the biggest electronic music project of all time. I kind of wonder about, like, what these billionaires must do, you know, with their free time. Because like, obviously, you know, they're I mean, all starting space programs, which is yeah, one exactly. <laughs> kind of interesting big thing you can do with a lot of money. But then... Yeah, I, I just feel like not enough of them are, are fucking around and getting weird with it unless they only do that, you know, in private. But I feel like we saw a little bit of Elon Musk like made a trance track or something and that, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, he tweeted it and I feel like that was it. I don't know if it was for anything. Um, yeah, but yeah, they could do? just they could just do so much interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, don't doubt your vibe by elon musk right <laughs> <laughs> damn that's a uh, holy shit it's got 3.68 million listens on soundcloud wow yeah that's uh that's pretty nuts um yeah i'm gonna have to follow this soundcloud account <laughs> <laughs> the top comment is by a, an account called poop and it uh, says, I am doubting your vibe this very second. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Dude, that's some top tier internet comment stuff. Um, do you read your comments? I read uh, a good amount of the YouTube ones, but um, I guess because that's where I get the most direct feedback on my actual work. But, um, you know, there's there, there are no comments on Spotify. And then for social media, it's really just like, a bunch of people either reaching out to me with something that they are interested in asking me or, or something that they want from me, or it's just people replying to whatever the most recent thing I posted was, which often is, what well, I don't know. It, it's something that I decided I didn't need to see that much of. So I actually, I've been off social media um, a lot more in the last few months, actually from, I think, end of July to mid-September, I didn't look at anything. 
and I have someone who helps uh, with like posting stuff for me. We we come up with uh, a lot of the posts that I want to put up together, and I you know check everything, and then uh, she just like gets it up for me, and you know I'm so glad you know she deals with cropping photos and. Um, when, you know, Twitter goes down or whatever, she remembers to do it later that day, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been feeling way better just not looking at social media. Like I, even though I go back occasionally now and I still do check on a reply or something, um, I, I don't actually scroll the feed anymore. Um, if I, if I ever have liked a post of yours, it's because you were the first thing that I saw when, <laughs> when I opened the app and then I'm just, you know, I'm going to my DMS or, uh, my replies, but, um, yeah, not engaging with that has been really nice. And then just in general, reducing how much of the actual comments I'm reading has been good because it's a lot of, um, a lot of stuff I don't need. It's, it's either like too much ego boosting or it's too much, like just people wanting to shit on you and you don't really need either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's either way it's the ego though, right? It's like, um, yeah. either the I'm shit or I'm the shit. Like it's the same yep. thing just in like both opposite directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's saving me a lot of time these days <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think the, the mental clarity, it, it, you know, feels like it's a little, little better. Yeah, agreed, man. I, I put that like um newsfeed eradicator thing on all my shit a while back, like probably a few years back at this point. And yeah, I've definitely been happier since. Though I do sometimes, uh, if I'm bored, like in like traveling or something like that, um, I'll like look into someone's career a lot. Like I'll mm. I'll be like, oh, this artist, like I'm really interested in them, and I really think what they're doing is interesting and cool, and I'll just start looking at all the shit they're doing, and then I'll end up really sad because I'm like, damn, they're doing so well, <laughs> uh, and then I have to just remind myself that every time I do that, that will in just inherently make me sad because right. I'm essentially just yeah. looking uh, at like somebody's finished shit, you know, like and. You know, they're not like posting up all of their like half finished stuff. You know, they're posting up just the best side of everything. And it just gives you like a very biased look at someone's life. But yeah, I think um, social media is definitely not good for the brain. It's for sure. It's, it turns you, it makes people catty, you know, like. Makes for people... sure. Yeah. I would, I would definitely notice that happening with myself and like who I would, might decide to reply to or whatever, or, or even just, yeah, things that I would post that, I don't know. It, like you don't need to jump in and comment and, and throw your opinion out about every little thing that's happening. And I definitely feel much better not keeping up with any of that. Um, but I, I, it's interesting, you know, on the, the ego tip, I've been thinking so much in the past couple of years about how much of all of this stuff that we do, uh, you know, has to do with ego, whether it's, I mean, there's the, the whole nature of social media is, is performative. And like you were saying, everybody's showing their best side. But, you know, if I'm deciding what I want to work on and what I want to post, like how much of it is like I'm trying to prove myself or I'm trying to impress some, you know, vision of a person out there. I don't know. Like so much of what I do is just for strangers on the Internet. But, you know, there's some kind of attachment that you can develop to um wanting to be perceived a certain way or you know there's, there's it's it's a very muddled sort of uh thing that i i've been trying to disentangle myself from a bit and um i think that's 
you know, getting away from social media a bit has been a part of that. And then I'm also, you know, just making music that I know I'm not going to share, um, you know, stuff, stuff that's just for me. And I remember as a kid, I would hear about artists who like just made music for themselves and then they had their like published work and you're like, I, I was always so puzzled. I was like, well, if you're working on all this <laughs> stuff, like I'm a big fan, obviously like all of your audience would be so interested to hear it. And now I'm kind of getting it a bit, you know, I'm, I'm understanding from the other yeah, side. Well, like I need, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need some stuff that's just for me. And that's yeah, yeah. when I do something that I'm ready to share, there's a whole other process that goes into that. And there's, you know, I'm, I have to think a little bit businessy about it and all that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's hard to um, to just make music for yourself because then yeah the the business side uh, you know diminishes. But it's also tough, I think, to make music just for other people because then the artistic and creative side diminishes. So you got to yeah, find yeah. a balance there for sure. Um, speaking of Twitter, though, uh, what I've been doing lately on the podcast is just asking people on Twitter for questions. Okay. Um, yeah. And Discord. So I have a bunch of Twitter and Discord questions for you. Sounds uh, good. Which we can go through. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's go through the, the, the Twitter ones first. All right. At Connor, Cro uh, sorry, at C Crow Music says, uh, will we get a BTS on all the space travel? What's a, a BTS, I guess, behind the scenes? Behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, thinking about how to structure that video, but. Um, I definitely want to put out a BTS hopefully in November because I, I, there's just so much I want to talk about. I mean, making the space stuff was very involved and I think people will have a lot of fun seeing the lengths we went to to get some shots. And then there's the music, there's the whole like um, mixed reality and fiction aspect of it. So um, yeah, hoping to get that together in a, about six weeks maybe. Yeah, now I'm looking at it, most of the questions are about space. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's interesting because, um, I mean, the reaction was so mixed throughout the series and there were periods where people were kind of excited that I was doing it. Then periods where they were very confused or like angry that it wasn't the same as my normal content. Um, by the end of it, I think I had a lot of people on board. Like the comments on the very final episode were super positive. But yeah, I guess it's it, it was something like different and big enough that people have, you know, strong reactions. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why people have such strong reactions to it. Do you think it's because like they th thought like you were on some Jeff Bezos financial level and that you were also on this like playing field of like I'm one of these rich people who's going to go to space things and then when they realized you actually weren't and it was VFX, they were like, damn it, I've been had. And then they were like, how dare you? And like, this is violating. <laughs> I think there are a few people like that for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody was thinking... Uh, about me being like super rich or something like that to, to be able to go to space. And in the story, it's like, I have this opportunity or whatever. But um, I think for the people who maybe wholeheartedly believed it, my, my hope was that if I did convince some people, once they realized that they'd been had, they would come around because the story and the production was just so good. Um, and the just the concept of, of doing this and having you kind of almost fall into being told a story uh, would be really interesting. Um, but then, of course, there's some people where it's just like, you know, you shouldn't have lied to me. I'm super <laughs> mad about that. Or just like, I want the old shit you were making, and why aren't you making that? But, um, yeah, strong reactions all around. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. Uh, at Garden Sound, he says, where do you get your sick wardrobe? Oh, um, yeah, kind of all over the place. I'm wearing this cool sweater right now that's from uh, Detroit Underground, which is like a cool oh, yeah, that's uh, a label. small label. And yeah, then that's a, they used to release like a bunch of Richard Devine and stuff like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They have some cool stuff. Very left field. Um, and I don't know. I go to some of the like random big shops that I feel like many of us go to the, the H and M's and Zara's not so much lately, but then also I've been advertised things on Facebook occasionally. And that is like a 50, 50 chance of working out or not. <laughs> It'll either be like, sick this is just like what they had in the picture or it's like i haven't had any disasters but i've had stuff where i'm like oh this material is incredibly cheap and i know it's gonna fall apart or whatever um yeah i guess i'm just kind of like every once in a while looking around online for interesting stuff nice (laughs) etsy sometimes yeah some some like random people making uh not one-off but you know they're hand making runs of stuff on their own yeah, true. I, I kind of take the Steve Jobs approach. I just like buy a bunch of black shirts to take the choice out. Yeah. And it just saves me a bunch of time and effort. I love that. Actually, so my wife just started doing that. She, I mean, it's not a daily thing for her, but she got a whole bunch of black turtlenecks. Um, and this this certain cut of them is working super well on her. And she, uh, yeah, has kind of like a uniform for most days that you can go to i've thought about that for myself too and then i just i don't know i feel like i have too much fun with it <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like dressing happy and snazzy and shit makes you feel happy and snazzy yeah no that's true it does have an effect definitely yeah it definitely affects your emotion um <clears throat> all right uh at dj earth ninja says what's the longest time you've spent tweaking a single snare sound Oh, I have no idea. I don't think I've gone too, too nuts with that. <laughs> um, maybe an hour or something, you know, not nothing, nothing wild. <laughs> yeah. And I was, it's still a significant amount of time to spend on a single snare. I feel like uh, every now and then I'll do like snare day, you know, and just make a bunch mm-hmm. of new snares or rather than make a bunch of new snares, make a bunch of new racks to make new snares with um, oh cool and is that what you did for like spectra and some of your other packs yeah kind of but um i think since then i've gotten a lot better at making drums as well so i I feel like i should probably make another drum pack at some point because yeah my drums just keep getting better it seems like or at least i maybe my taste in drums just keeps changing but yeah every Mm, cool every now and then there'll be a snare day or a kick day or something and so Uh, are you making these custom racks that are um is it like stock stuff or do you have a mix of third-party plugins to yeah it's a mix of stuff and then there's like macro controls on it and stuff so i'd be like you know turn up the you know make it more noisy make it more clappy you know add reverb to like i'll try and macro a bunch of shit so like i can just throw these racks on stuff and just like you know get a setting going really quickly and then if i want to dive into all the plugins i can um and like fuck with a lot more but usually i'll um like get a good snare going and then i'll usually render it because then you can like, you know, get the zero crossings like really lined up. Yeah. And another thing that I've been doing lately that I learned from a friend of mine, Eli Derp, who's an amazing producer, <clears throat> is um, I'll cut my drums. Like I used to cut it like right on the zero crossing, you know, like so it starts at like zero and then goes like up and uh-huh. down. And instead you cut it like 90 degrees in. So it starts at the top. 
So oh. you, you intentionally get that click out of it and it just adds this nice clicky transient. And I'm like, that's just like a rule that you shouldn't do that, but it actually works really well for kicks. That's and, so you know, interesting. Because with a kick, you want that click on the start, right? Like you want that yeah. snap. So um, yeah, that's something I've been doing a lot lately. I just I just got a new, uh, well, new to me, Eurorack module, the rabbit elephant natural gate. I don't know if you've heard of this thing. <laughs> the rabbit elephant natural gate. Let yeah, me rabbit elephant. Oh, um, rabbit elephant. Yeah. But so this thing is like, they do very limited runs and people, you know, resell them for twice the price on the used market. $405. Yeah. Um, but I, I found a guy locally who was selling it for just the price he paid for it. And so I jumped on that right away. And, uh, an interesting thing I noticed about, it, I mean, it is a very nice sounding envelope and I guess they programmed it in such a way that it responds in a, in, a, in a natural way. So like if you hit it with higher sounding material, uh, the envelopes slightly shorten. Um, and then if you are hitting it repeatedly, very quickly, the envelopes also shorten just like on a, if you were using a, an acoustic drum, um, yeah. you know, you're giving stuff less time to ring or the, the way that you're even approaching hitting it, you'll like, if you think about hitting a drum really, really fast with your hand and your consistency or, just the fact that if you speed up, you'll probably start hitting harder, all that kind of stuff they kind of yeah, built into yeah. its response. Hmm. Anyway, all that to say, when I first plugged it in and started using it, I was like, oh, these are really snappy, awesome sounding envelopes. But if I were to just analyze what was different about that versus running the same sound through another envelope, it kind of felt like a lot of the times what I liked about it was just that there was a big, loud click right <laughs> off the top. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it yeah, just yeah. gave that sensation of a really snappy sound. Um, yeah, and I kind of wonder, you know, if it had just been that, we, <laughs> would, would we get the yeah. same um, excitement of it? It's funny, man. It's so weird that people have these very disparate ideas about music production, right? They're like, oh man, I love that snap on that drum, but they're like, you can't cut a zero crossing there. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, why? Like, I don't know. These, these young kids, like this kid that taught me this, Eli Derp, he's 18. And these okay. kids coming through these days are just like, they don't give a shit. They'll cut anything wherever they, yeah. they'll I do guess whatever. We're kind of heading more and more towards just, if it sounds good, it is good. And I, I exactly. think like, you know, the rule book on so many things is getting thrown out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I came from a very traditional um, audio engineering background because I went to like a mm. fucking basically rock audio engineering school, <laughs> um, which was good. I mean, like I have a pretty well-rounded understanding of like all the technical crap, but like, yeah, definitely for electronic music, it doesn't always translate. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. Back to Twitter. At Dirk Green Music says, as Miss America, what would you do for global awareness of electronic music and why? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. If I won Miss America, that would be a day. Um, I mean, oh, just he's, like. He's saying you are Miss America. Oh. I'm, I'm picturing like I've just been announced, but I'm going to pull actually, back the curtain. There's going to be a giant Eurorack system and I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, have a noisy jam. Maybe and all these people who've never heard of, of you know, modular synths before are going to get a taste. Maybe he's saying he's Miss America. He's like, you know, as, as Miss America, like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a question that's pertinent yeah. to my role as Miss America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, all right. At made by Baco say, says or asks, um, pancakes or waffles and why? 
Uh, big fan of waffles. I like that you can get them crispier, and I'm a big fan of grids, and so I like that there's this sense of order to them. I like that you know you can get the syrup to fill a certain grid. You could even you know make a like some pixel art with the syrup in the the squares. A fluffy pancake is amazing, but overall, you just lean a little bit towards waffle. Yeah. Uh, but what about when you're trying to butter a waffle? Don't you get pissed off that all the butter goes into one of the grids? That's true. Yeah. No, that's a downside for sure. I guess you know I just, I just think deal with it in my a... mouth. It all mixes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just like eat a part of waffle, eat a part of butter, and then like drink a <laughs> tiny bit of syrup and then hope for the best. <laughs> I, I, you know what? It's so funny. I do my lunches like that sometime. I'm like, I could spend the time putting together this sandwich, but it, I'm just having like a day where I'm not even putting in that much effort and I will take a bite of spinach and a bit of tomato and a bit of sliced turkey and then a piece of bread and at uh, different times <laughs> and just feel like, yeah, I'm getting the same nutritional value here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's all just going in, in the end, then why not? Um, yeah, I gotta say, I think I'm a little more leaning towards pancakes, but I don't know why that is. I think it's just because of the butter thing. Maybe yeah. if I had like sprayable butter and I could like, you know, evenly like graffiti sort of coat the yeah. top of my waffle. You know, then... for me too, part of it is that waffles are a little more involved to make. So it's like a little more special. It's mm. also true. Yeah. You can kind of knock off a pancake pretty quickly. That might actually be playing into my answer of why I like pancakes though. Cause I'm like, I could just uh, make a pancake, you know, like yeah. <laughs> there is the act of having to make the waffle to eat the waffle. So that, that kind of sucks. Right, right, yeah. So I choose waffle if I don't have to be the one making it. Okay, but if you have to be the one in a, making in it. a restaurant, it's waffle. Yeah, at home, it's pancakes. <laughs> gotcha. All right, we got to the bottom of that one. Good. Um, <laughs> uh, at Hig Hog nineteen ninety five says, "What's the best live artist you've seen? Then the best live show you've seen, and then your favorite collaboration you've ever done, and then your favorite Mr. Bill tune." It's a lot. Oh of my questions. gosh, that's a lot. Um favorite wait favorite live artist and favorite live show yeah which, which i guess it's kind thing? of the same thing really isn't it or maybe it's different i mean yeah you can answer Man, that it's been want. so long since i've seen live music i'm like <laughs> completely completely blanking um I, i'd have to say my favorite live artist might be beardy man oh he's incredible yeah I, I am so in awe of the system that he's built to... It's, it's crazy. Yeah, just be able to do what he can do on the fly. Um, yeah, well, I saw Jacob Collier recently. That was a very... Um, yeah, he's nuts. Not recently, but like as, as recently as possible, I guess, pre-pandemic. And yeah, he, he was... Um, I, I, I don't know how to say it really, but it was like the most musical show I've ever been to in that it was... It touched on so many different vibes and also um his uh showmanship was really fun like at one point i don't know if he does this every night but he like threw something across the stage to perfectly hit a crash symbol at the you know final moment of a song like that kind of stuff and then he gets the audience involved in singing this big choral thing like it's very um joyous um yeah i like that he basically turns everybody in the audience into like a like level 10 jazz musician somehow it's <laughs> yeah. like who who can you know 
get that idea across to people so effectively and so like he has such a well-rounded understanding of music i think that he's just able to be like all this shit that i know look how simple it actually is and then like gives it to you to do yeah that's true he's so great at at showing how he's doing things too his and his uh, like track breakdowns and everything um that show was also special because he brought out daniel caesar so i guess there was like this this cool arc to the show where it just kept on on building in interesting and unexpected ways um yeah i i can't pick favorites man it's hard to pick a favorite collab or anything <laughs> i mean working with you was awesome that time and um we still have some some tracks laying around that would be fun to to do some we do stuff yeah with. there's a good four four one like a housey one there that i want to finish at some point yeah yeah and then man i'm so bad with with any song names but uh my favorite stuff of yours is always the like glitchiest <laughs> that's <Nice. laughs> that's always my taste nice all right xtl dubs says or asks uh, sorry i keep saying says um what's your favorite synth vst of all time oh man again with the favorites uh <laughs> you know what phase plant has been my go-to dude that shit is so crazy yeah i just love that you can keep adding modulators and, and effects yeah. and, and everything in it um, yeah they asked me to do a preset pack recently mm -hmm. and i had some patches that just had like 50 or 60 flanges racked up in there <laughs> and Damn. just all macroed to a single knob so you can just turn it it just goes and just oh, like pulls the whole awesome. sound apart and just gets all fucked up and they were like uh yeah we can't ship this preset and i was like why not and they're like it just won't open probably on most people's computers oh man <laughs> and i was like all right that's yeah. a very like mr bill thing you have yeah. happen <laughs> Uh, yeah, faceplant is nuts. I, I I would agree with that answer. If I had to be stuck with one synth VST, I think yeah, that's a pretty yeah. good. One it's to also be stuck I can't with. think of too many that let you do audio rate modulation. Um, yeah, that's, that's yeah, pretty in, cool. In in the digital world, yeah, not yeah. there isn't a lot, is there? Uh, all right, at official Ahi. Oh, Ahi, I like I like this guy. He's been on the podcast. Um, oh, sweet. He just asks it's not even a there's no question mark it just says life work balance <laughs> <laughs> um it's been it's feeling good right now um yeah i, th I think having a kid changes everything um and i was so afraid you know when we were thinking about becoming parents and then when Essa got pregnant i was so afraid that there was going to be some kind of competition between like me wanting to do music and me wanting to be there for the baby. Um, and then in like a wonderful way, it was just like, Oh, there's no question. I, I, I love this kid. And I just, um, you know, I, I, I think so much of how I thought of myself was like music is my number one thing. And like, I'm obsessed with it and I, every spare moment needs to go to it. So having the kid, I was a little bit worried that I was going to be like neglectful or something, but there's just been this shift where I'm like, no, if I were to spend less time with my kid that uh, to, to, so I could make more music, that would be the greater sacrifice. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. So we've been able to find this great balance. It also, you know, it, we're in a really lucky situation where a, we have a super easy baby who you know, is just so happy almost all the time and is sleeping really well and all that. So it's not like my nights are wrecking me and uh, I'm not able to be productive or whatever. But then at the same time, like I'm already set up working at home. I can go back and forth easily. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I guess, uh, long story short, I'm spending as much time as I can doing both things. And it feels like, um, it feels good. It's, it's not one of those things where it's like, you're always looking at the other side. I think before having the kid, I had this really, I don't know. I had this affliction, I'll call it, where it was like, if I'm working, I feel bad because I don't take enough time off. Uh, or like other people are doing cool things and I'm missing out. But if I'm not working, I feel guilty that I'm not working. I think yeah, that's yeah. a very like millennial or modern uh, mindset. Dude, so, I have the exact same thing. It's fucked. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I feel like I'm, I'm only just realizing it as I'm answering this now. That feels like it's disappeared for me since the baby. Cause it's just like when I'm in music, I'm loving it and I get to do it. And when I'm with the kid, it's, it's amazing. And, and you know, she's wonderful. And wherever I am, I, I kind of am, am, am doing something I really love. So yeah. It's like, though, no matter what you're doing, if you're taking time to look after the child or taking time to do your, your work, you kind of just feel like you have purpose all the time. Yeah, exactly. And also like with how my career is structured, I never have to feel like I'm missing out on baby stuff. I'm not like gonna have to go on a month-long tour and then that happens to be when she says her first word or something like that like that yeah it just won't happen so yeah lucky in that way damn man yeah that's fucking awesome dude um i'm still torn on whether or not to do the the kid thing i feel like i'd be a terrible parent (laughs) (laughs) i feel like you have to be like i don't know more i just feel like i don't have my shit together enough interesting yeah i don't know it's it's so I, I, I thought it would be more cut and dry with just like people who want to have kids will be great at it. People who don't want to have kids shouldn't. But I feel like from <laughs> the people I've met who have kids of all ages, it's just kind of like a crapshoot with how they manage to kind of integrate the the life changes that happen. Also with with who your kid ends up being and what, what they're like to deal with, I guess. But yeah, mm. there's, there are some friends I have who've really surprised me with like how much they stepped it up once they became parents. And then there are other people I know who like, they wanted a baby for their entire life and then they got there and they're like, you know, this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, you don't really get to choose what kind of kid comes out, right? They're, <laughs> yeah. they're a little more complicated than a pet or something where in terms of personality. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so much fun though. I mean, we're having a great time. Well, fuck man, that's that's great to hear. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much. It's always for awesome to chat to you. I'm glad we got. Yeah, I'm glad we got to catch up again. It's been cool hearing about all this stuff. And um, yeah, we should definitely rehash some of those projects. I know that there's um, if I just search my computer right now quickly for Andrew Huang, there is three. I want to say, or at least one. There's definitely at least one. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I remember there was, we were like, we released Droppy, but there was an Electro-y feeling one. And there was a yeah. weird, like, I guess, IDM-y kind of one as well. I'll, I'll have a look on my computer as well. But yeah, it would be fun to yeah, develop. I think they're in Dropbox, right? Probably. I think we had a shared Dropbox maybe. Yeah. 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 I'd love to, to, to pull those out again and finish them at some point for sure because yeah from memory they were really cool yeah that'd be super dope and then um yeah it'd be great if uh whenever it's possible if you want to come back and stay here and, and work on some other new stuff in person too you're uh, always I'd love welcome to. yeah i'd love to do that um i think yeah i'll probably i'll end up 
up around that part of the world again at some point for sure. And when I do, I'll hit you up definitely. We should go to Dead Mouse's house again. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, dude, that was that was crazy. That was such um, a wild night. Yeah, that was, that was just strange that I just got off the plane and like texted him. Like I totally forgot I even had his number until I got off the plane, and I was like oh yeah, I think I have Joel's number. And I looked and I was like, oh shit, I do have it. And I like texted him and he was just like instantly responded. He was like, yeah, come yeah. over. <laughs> and free that evening. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's fun to hang out Super in this pool. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'd love to do all that again. All right, man. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate it um, a ton. And, and yeah, thanks again. Yeah, sweet. Keep doing what you're doing and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Build podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at Mr. Bill's tunes.com. Thank you. I know what I-